Welcome back to our study on the names of Jesus. We are examining a variety of ways that Jesus is referred to in Scripture and trying to gain a little understanding of the role he plays in our life in the story of our salvation based on how Scripture refers to him. We believe that the Word of God uh, is Jesus himself, uh, but that the words that we have from God that we call the Bible are uh, a guidebook that point us to Jesus. Uh, and we want to be pointed to him. And today we're going to talk about a, um, a particular reference to Christ. And it's one that he makes of himself um, at length in the Gospel of John. And that is the bread of life. Um, bread is, uh, well, for generations, for centuries, has been a source of nutrition and life. Um, something happened to bread, though, uh, in the last, uh, well, century or so. Um, and that is that the flour that is used to, to make bread, it doesn't store very well because it becomes a very popular place for rodents to gather and to do what rodents do uh, in, in that flour. And so the flour was going bad. So an idea was concocted whereby um, the, the wheat kernel, by the way, wheat kernels have 20 some odd, about 25, 27 different nutrients um, within them. And so they'd take the wheat kernel and they would crush it and grind it and bleach it and clean it and basically remove all of those nutrients out of it so that it was kind of nothing. And then they would form that into a flour and then take, um, depending on what state you live in, it could be a six, seven, eight, nine different nutrients and spray that back over the top of that flour to add it back in, make it into bread and they call it enriched bread. Um, which sounds like super bread, but it really means that they took all the good stuff out, put a little bit of it back in, and called it enriched. That is something that we have to be mindful of, and I think it's really nice that it kind of goes along with this idea of Jesus, the bread of life. What we've done to bread in our life as food is really tragic because we've removed so much of the goodness of it. we remove so much of the goodness of it that the rats won't eat it anymore. Think about that. Now look at the churches around you. Are they more full today than they were 10 years ago? If not, well, that could be because we have taken Jesus and tried to make him into a manageable, understandable, easily packaged thing, just like Wonder Bread. We've taken out a lot of the good things and we've put back in the things that we want Jesus to have. The problem with Jesus for so many of us is he doesn't fit into an easy, manageable box. If you are conservative, there are things that Jesus says that you like, and there are things he says that trouble you. If you are more liberal or progressive, there are things he says that you like, and there are things he says that trouble you. Uh, if you are of any different culture, if you have any different persuasion besides you know, politics, what have you, Jesus doesn't fit into one category. And so we sometimes ignore the things that Jesus says that are difficult for us, and we take the things that are easy that we like, and we package Jesus up, and guess what? Even the rats won't eat that uh, enriched bread of life, as we call it. Uh, we've done something to Jesus, I think, that has made it less attractive to people because it feels very much like we've manipulated who Jesus is. Think about this for a minute. Jesus says, um, love one another. Now, is that easier to follow, uh, or is it easier do we gravitate more toward uh, things in Scripture like, do not forsake the assembly. Now think about it. 
Uh, one is easier for us to teach as a rule and as a concept, and the other is harder to do in daily living, although one is far more simple than the other. Uh, and so sometimes we trade the, the easier route for the uh, simpler route because it's a route that we understand and it's a rule and a law that we can understand and grasp and package Jesus up in this particular way. We should not remove all the good things out of Jesus just to put our own things that we like back in. Let's look at John chapter 6. That's where we're going to find the bulk of our lesson today. Um, so some things happen. Jesus is out teaching and he's got a crowd that's following. I'm going to paraphrase um, a great deal of this. They're out and he looks up and he sees the crowd and he realizes, boy, it's getting about dinner time and we need some food. So he turns to his 12 unemployed friends and says, we should go buy them some food. Um, and it says in, in verse 6 that he said this to test Philip. That's who he says it to. Uh, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Um, we often see this image or think of this image as here comes this little boy up to Jesus, you know, offering. That may not be what have happened. It, it, it seems that Andrew found this kid whose mom had packed him a lunch to go hear Jesus. And he brings him to Jesus and says, this is the only food we can find amongst the crowd. And it's not going to be enough. So Jesus has the people sit down. We know what happens here. Um, they divide up and through, the, through miraculous work, um, this, this five loaves and two fish um, multiply to be able to feed thousands of people, so much so that they gather up the leftovers and, um, and, and, and carry them off. Now, uh, what happens after that? Well, everybody gets really excited, and they want to take Jesus, and they want to make him into a king. Why would they want to make him into the king? Because what is life at this point in human history? And really up until very, very recently, maybe the Industrial Revolution, uh, up until that point, what was life for the average human? It was toil and labor all day long to try and scratch together enough money or enough food to feed yourself or buy enough to feed yourself. And then what? Do it all again the next day. It was survival of subsistence. That was the life. And so here they are saying, well, if he can provide us food, we put him in charge. Um, Thomas Jefferson said that the this republic will end when the people can vote a dollar from the treasury into their own pocket. Are we there uh, here in America? Yeah, and I don't mean just welfare. I mean special interest groups and uh, corporations with relationships with the government that uh, put money into their pocket. Um, it's a danger that we face in a democratic republic, which we are, a constitutional republic, uh, and it is something that is human nature. If someone will give us something for free or provide something for us without the labor or the cost for ourselves, we'll take that all day long. And so they want to make Jesus their king. So Jesus gets away from it all. He goes up into the mountains and he goes to spend some time by himself. Meanwhile, the disciples decide to cross over the sea uh, he sees them down there because they're in the midst of a storm and he decides to go down there. Um, it's, it's really interesting that he, he, the way the Bible describes it, he sees them. And then the next verse is 
as he's walking on the water. It's like he's just there, like nothing, just taking a stroll across the, the water. Uh, and again, I'm paraphrasing some of this and skipping through to set the scene. So Jesus walks out on the water to them. Uh, this is where Peter decides, and this is interesting. In the storm, they're scared. They don't know what to do, and here comes Jesus. And what does Peter decide? I want to be where you are. Jesus is safe. I want to go where safety is. And he walks out of the boat. Now, we kind of give Peter a hard time because he eventually sinks and Jesus has to save him. But he still holds the human record for water walking. Okay, uh, He's gone further walking on water than I ever will. So we kind of need to give Peter some credit on that one. Um, but then Jesus goes on, gets to the other side. They show up there later. They see that he's walked across the sea um, on foot. And uh, when they get there, Jesus has some things to say to them. All right. The, 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 and, and the people show up, and they see also that Jesus has arrived. Now, he's got to deal with this mob that wants to make him king. So let's read here in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not uh, work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to, to be doing the works of God? Okay, excellent question, by the way. Um, he says, Look, you need to be focused on this food that will not perish, that doesn't rot, that doesn't go away, that doesn't disappear, that doesn't make you hungry again. And it's what God has set his seal on. And we know Jesus had a seal set on him, in, in a sense, at his baptism. And so they say, well, what do we do? What, what are the works of God? And again, here's where we complicate things. We want to know just what to do. We want to have that recipe, that, that cookbook kind of mentality to our, our spiritual lives. And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is clearly describing himself. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, we really make this more complicated. Um, what does the Bible say is doing the work of God? What does the Bible say we are to do in response? Look at him and believe in him. That's it. Believe in him. And act accordingly. Now, Jesus refers to himself here 
as the bread of life, as the bread of heaven, as the bread of God, lots of bread references. So what does this mean? Well, understanding a little bit the context here um, uh, about John and what we'll read later uh, in this passage, the Gospel of John has a very clear theme, and it doesn't fit well with the other Gospels because they are telling a biographical story of Jesus, an account of his life. John, understanding that that account is already well known by this point in time, is writing um, a persuasive essay on the spiritual and divine nature of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. He is, using, he is making that argument. So he does that by telling the stories of Jesus' life. And he, and he really focuses on the words of Christ. Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John, and a great deal of what he speaks are variations on the same theme. I am from God. You get into a relationship with me, and you will be in a relationship with God. The theme of the words of Christ in the Gospel of John is a transfer, transference of relationship between God and man. Hey, I am in God, God is in me. If you get in me, you will be in God and I will be in you. And we will have this, this relationship with Jesus in the middle of it, bridging the gap between us and God. That's the theme of John. That's what Jesus is saying here. You need to eat this bread of life and you will have what is from God. You will have me. I will be in you. So, Verse 41, the Jews are grumbling amongst themselves because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. That's a really good point, by the way. They ate the manna in the wilderness, but all of them eventually died. They didn't live forever. And many of them didn't make it to the promised land. I am the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. Here's, there's another phrase that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And here we have Jesus making reference to bread as a symbol of flesh, which he is going to give for the world. Again, that's a difficult and confusing thing. And it was to the audience who heard it because they dispute amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, if this flesh and blood stuff is really challenging to you, it's okay. It, it, it is. Um, and if you're talking to someone about the Bible who uh, has never read the Bible before and they're new to Christianity, probably don't start with this passage because it's a little bit disturbing. And I understand that. Um, Jesus is clearly drawing an analogy uh, about flesh and blood and about his flesh, which 
in blood, which is his body, that's going to be sacrificed on the cross, and that through that, life is given. Now, we understand that that life is received when we accept Jesus Christ in faith, and we're baptized in that faith. Um, but Jesus is explaining this in, yes, a cryptic way and a bit of a disturbing way, but he, he's making this point about bread, which he's going to make later when uh, he, he shares the Passover meal with his, with his followers. But in this particular instance, he's making a point that is, is uh, congruent with the, the point of the Gospel of John, and that is that what Jesus has with God, he can give to us relationally. Jesus, the Son of God, God is in him, he is in God. He then uh, presents himself to us. We believe on him, we are in him, he is in us. And now we have a relationship with God. And just like he says, if you eat of what the Father sent, then you, have, you are communing with the Father and with me, and we're all three connected. Um, the, the, the point is this. We are what we eat, right? Jesus is life. Jesus is life. If you want to live, go where Jesus is. Just like Peter walking out of the boat. If you want to be safe, go where Jesus is. That's, that's what the bread of life is. It is the nourishment. It is the development. It is the uh, satiating power of God through his son. If you need that, you go where he is. Now, I want to make a point about communion because we at Monroe Church of Christ, we partake of communion every week. We think it's a very special uh, event and a special commemoration. What we're doing when we do that is a couple things. We are proclaiming Jesus, that we believe in him, that we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, and we celebrate it. We proclaim our faith in him. Um, we also are proclaiming a unity and an acceptance of all the other people that are taking that emblem. That's essentially what we're doing. That's why it's really so important in Scripture. When you read about uh, the, the, the sacred nature of partaking of the communion, you see that um, Paul and others say, hey, if you've got something going on, a conflict with someone, you need to go deal with that conflict first because when you partake of this, you are proclaiming to the world that you and all the other believers, you're on the same page, that you're together, and you are claiming an accountability to one another. And if there's something going on between you that prevents that from happening, it's better that you not take it because you don't want to be lying to God and to those around you. It's so critically important. And, and I will admit, I've had moments in life where I've passed the tray uh, a time or two because I didn't feel that I was in the right place for it. And that's okay to do. God would prefer that you not disrespect those emblems by lying about the state of your heart because the bread is life. And the bread is Jesus. And Jesus is where we go when we want to live. And when we partake of that, symbolically, his flesh and blood, we are proclaiming Jesus and we are proclaiming the relationship with all other Christians who also partake of that emblem. Jesus, the bread of life. If you want to live, go where Jesus is. If you want to find him, look to the word and it will show you the word. Hope you'll join us next time as we continue this study of the names of Jesus. We'll see you then.